0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Remote Real Estate Investor Podcast. On today's episode, we have something really special for you guys. In the theme of Halloween, we wanted to go out and collect a bunch of horror stories, very, very spooky real estate investing stories. And so we asked a couple of friends of the podcast to share some stories they've had along the way. Uh, some of them funny, some of them a little scary, uh, some of them real spooky. So we have a total of five People speak in given their stories today. And that includes author and coach Chad Carson, Roofstock CEO Gary Beasley, Jim Barker, who is the VP of construction at Roofstock, our very own Tom Schneider, who you guys know from this show, and author and good friend of the show, Michael Zuber. So without further ado, let's hop into their stories. So first up, we have author Chad Carson. So let's hear from Chad.
1: It was actually an investor friend who tried to get me to take over his property and manage it for him. And we went and looked at it. And he's like, yeah, I got this tenant who's not really paying that well. And I said, okay, yeah, let's see how that goes. And it was a big, it was a brick house with a huge basement. And I said, Well, I'm gonna have to go visit the house. I'm not gonna take it over before like looking at it. And so we, we walked to the house, we were walked inside, and we, I could just tell the tenant was really you know, it, not at ease. Like he was just kind of nervous about something and kind of watching us too closely. And I noticed he got really uneasy when I started going towards the door to the basement. And I said, oh, okay, I guess I better go to the basement. Opened the top of the door of the basement. And all I heard was thousands, it sounded like, of wheels going squeak, 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 squeak like... Lots and lots of little wheels and little sound like little feet you know little rodent feet running on these wheels. and so it, it and I kind of I went to flick on the light and I looked at the bottom of the, the stairs and there's like two red eyes kind of looking up at me in the, the dark and I flipped the lights on and there are there's there's one whole room in this basement with just tons and tons of rat cages or mice cages too but that, that was only one part of this basement operation this guy had going on. There was all the reptiles in the other part of the basement that were the eating all of the the rodents that he was raising. So he had big, huge snakes. He had uh, turtles and these big bats. He had—I um, don't think I saw any alligators, but I did see so, yeah, your turtles and iguanas. And so it was like an exotic pet operation going on in this guy's basement. So this is one particular horror story. I was glad it wasn't my property, and I told the guy as we walked out, I said, "I'm not managing this property until you get." rid of this tenant. The final part of the story, I'll try to make it fast, is that he did give the tenant notice. The tenant had to leave. It was like 60, 90 days later when he finally got it out. And we went back to the house with the same friend. And we're like, we walk in the front door, the same front door, you know, it looked, it looked empty. Oh, okay. Yeah, not so bad. And we're walking down the hallway, the same hallway that had the basement door. And all of a sudden, this massive, like big, you know, kind of dark brown mouse rat thing like comes charging down the hallway right at Whoa. us <laughs> so we bolt for the living room and take off Is this mouse like was not scared of us at all like runs around the corner right when that happened that was right before he said "Ah, oh, not so bad you know, this doesn't look so bad is <laughs> this mouse comes charging down and after the mouse comes charging down we're getting ready to leave because I'm like let's just get out of this place and I look over at my friend He's got this big, huge roach crawling out of his uh, oh. <laughs> out of his shirt that must have dropped down from the ceiling somewhere. So, long story short, you know, if if you get a bad tenant, and that's what, that was the the moral of this story, was he didn't screen his tenant, he didn't inspect it, he didn't pay attention to what's going on, and things can get out of control if you're not paying attention. So. That's that's the lesson there. Holy!
0: <laughs> I thought you were gonna say, yeah, you decided to take it over, but made him cut you in on the business. You get ten percent commission for all the animals uh, he sells.
1: No, no, I didn't touch that property. I was, I helped him, advised him. I, you know, from a distance, so I didn't get any more roaches or or mice in <laughs> <and> my shoes. <laughs>
0: Right next up, we have Gary Beasley. So Roofstock CEO, as many of you know, he has a really spooky story to share with you guys. So let's hear from Gary.
2: When I was in the hotel business, this would have been back around 1997. I was in the midst of acquiring a very old hotel in the Claremont Berkeley Hills called the Claremont Resort and Spa. So this is right on the border of Berkeley and Oakland. It sits on top of the Hayward Fault, the really creepy thing we found out right before closing, the general manager of the hotel came over to me, grabbed me out of the diligence room, took me in his office, and said, "Gary, I got to share something with you." I'm like, okay, what is this? Is the building have termites or something? He says. Uh, he hands me this file. He doesn't say anything. I open it up, and it's a thick file full of handwritten notes. These were from guests and from people who worked at the hotel. And it was all very, very similar. And it all happened on the fourth floor of the Claremont Hotel. So the guy's name was Henry Feldman. I could remember it like it was yesterday. And uh, he looked at me and he really wanted to watch my reaction as I opened through and started reading some of these notes. But there were dozens and dozens of accounts of people seeing a woman in a long, white, flowing dress and either hearing or seeing one or two small children. And sometimes they would look out their window and see them in the rose garden and like her tending to the roses. And sometimes she'd be kind of floating the hallways and like, oh, come on. I'm I'm looking around for a camera. He's like, no, read more. This is no joke. And a lot of these are pretty recent. And, And then a number of things would happen in the rooms. One, sometimes the lights would go on and off unexplainably. TV would go on. In the middle of the night Absolutely we're like freak. blaring loud.
3: Now and call
2: Water would be on in the bathroom when they clearly had not been in the bathroom. Drawers won't open in in the dressers. And then one that was pretty freaky was a lot of people complained that they tried when they tried to exit their hotel room, the, the door handle was hot. It was really hot and it wouldn't and they couldn't turn it. And so like this is really Odd, um, and also the other thing that was very common was people being awakened by someone thumping on their chest when they're sleeping, like bam, and no one's in the room. It's like what is going on? And in fact, I heard this from when I was getting my hair cut one day there. But the guy who used to cut my hair was telling this story that it just happened to someone who's at the hotel. This was a few years ago, and she like moved to a different floor, or whatever. So I'm trying to say, I, I asked him, what's the commonality of all this stuff? Because, you know, I, I have no idea, but none of these people know anything about any of the other stories. Um, oh, there's one more, and then I'll tell you, you know, the, kind of the genesis of it and what puts the theory. There's an NBA team that used to stay there. When the Warriors have people in, they a lot of times will stay there. And there was an, a famous NBA player. I think you could even find this online somewhere who was there, and he was complaining about the noise in the next room, the little kids playing and um he called downstairs and they said sir there's no one in the room next to you it's vacant it's not been booked he's like no there is you could come up here right now and so they come up open the door sure enough room no one in the room totally vacant nothing touched he freaks out and i think he actually checked out of the hotel i don't think he went to a different floor so all this crazy crazy stuff right and so i said well henry you know what do you think that the genesis of it was, he goes, well, there was a woman who lived here with her small children before it was a hotel on the property. It was just a house. And she and her children died in a fire on the property. That's wild.
4: It's like all the different mediums too. It's like the electrical,
2: the water, the. Exactly. Exactly. So he said, I'm not telling you, you know, not to buy the hotel. I don't know if any of it's true, but. I was told by my lawyers, you know, this is the kind of thing we have to let everybody know about. And he said, we've never had anybody hurt or anything like that. So if there is anything there, it's not a malevolent thing. But he said, I, I started a, a very much a skeptic. But with all of these things happening that are so similar, because I don't know.
4: Wow. Wild. And how many,
2: how many stories is that hotel here? It's the top floor, the fourth floor. The fourth floor. Okay. Yeah. And then there's a tower as well that goes up. There's a bell tower. So there's one room that actually connects to the Bell Tower where there's been a bunch of stuff. It kind of centers around that whole part of the hotel. That is so wild. If you
4: haven't seen the hotel, just Google Claremont Hotel and you'll immediately go, yeah, that's probably haunted. And now we have the, uh, the inside <laughs> diligence
2: Yeah, the largest wood frame structure this side of the Mississippi. So and, yeah. uh, another bit of trivia with this hotel. So it was owned by this great guy named Harold Schnitzer for probably 50 years before we bought it from him back in the late 90s. And he was one of only, I think, three owners. And the hotel was built after the 1906 quake. But the land for that hotel reportedly was one in a checkers game back in the <laughs> around the turn of the century. So there's a lot of really, really interesting, colorful history around the hotel.
4: So you guys still ended up buying it? We did end up
2: buying it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Have you received reports of this kind of stuff happening since you bought it? So, you know, it never has, has been something that's been that widely reported or talked about. Obviously, this kind of stuff is still happening because I heard it from my the guy who was cutting my hair there probably five years ago because I used to go there just to kind of stay connected. And and all the people who work there are like, oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It's just like common knowledge that this stuff yeah. happens. but. <laughs> So I think if there was something going on before we bought it, it's still going on.
0: Wow. You just, in about four
4: and a half minutes, convinced me to never stay at the Claremont. (laughs) (laughs) Just No, just
2: avoid the fourth floor. Avoid the fourth floor. floor. Some people pay a premium and ask to stay on the fourth floor. Like I Uh said, no one's ever been hurt. I mean, you might be a little spooked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this way, if the TV comes on or whatever, you know what to do. It's just nothing to worry about. Just go calmly turn it off. Make sure the water's not running in the bathroom. Calmly go back to sleep. Calmly go back to sleep. <laughs> Put a pillow on your chest. <laughs> Put a pillow right. on your chest. Right, so the thumb you know, is softer. boom. Yeah. yeah, no, so the whole theory is she's trying to wake up her kids or wake up whoever's there and uh, get, yeah, the get out of here. Yeah, happy Halloween, boys.
0: Okay, next up we have our very own Jim Barker. Jim's got another pretty spooky story for you guys. So let's hear from Jim.
3: There's a lot of weird stories out there. And I thought seeing a, a giant pipe organ built into a home, it was really up there. That was in Long Beach, California. But but this one was a, a trip out to Indianapolis and Uh, We had a group of houses there for the firm that I was working with that that were really um, in need of a lot of renovation. They had purchased these um, sort of sight unseen, uh, really low purchase prices, knowing that they needed some rehab, but didn't know exactly how much they needed. Um, And when we got into this house, I think my first experience was um, walking into the home. It didn't have the utilities on. The walls were sweating. and being a Southern California native and and at the time kind of you know, living in Florida and, and going out throughout the the Southeast, I didn't really think about it, but I was like, oh, it's got a basement, and I kind of went to go walk in the basement. And I think I was using my my cell phone flashlight, and it, I almost stepped into like a, a about five feet of water. The water was it was just full of water in this basement. So I kind of quickly realized we needed to get a waterproofing company out there and. Uh, they did a good job. They they pumped the water out of the basement um, and I identified, yeah, we had this long-term issue there with this house and created a plan for us to waterproof the basement with um, some excavation around the outside and some sump pumps. And you're like, okay, this is a, this is already a scary rehab house, but it wasn't truly scary at this point. Uh, uh, just a little odd. But when they, they got the basement dry, um, then the next step was sort of remediate all the water damage in the basement. And they said, okay, well, it'll take us a couple days, and then you can come take a look at it and really scope out this house uh, after we're done. So in the process, they, they stripped this entire basement of the, the drywall that was uh, around the basement walls and uh, let it dry out, had some fans in there, and then and, and that's really when when I got the call from this vendor saying, Hey, you got to come back. Like, this is something weird going on at this house. And yeah, I had seen a lot of things, probably, you know, a couple thousand SFR houses that had been in at this point. And nothing really phased me, whether it was a hoarder house or, or anything else uh, that you might run into. But when I got back to this house, he's like, Yeah, I, I just, you know, it's so strange. You just got to go in and experience it for yourself. And And so this house was odd enough already. I mean, it had been stripped of drywall and didn't have cabinets or or anything in the kitchen. So it just kind of looked like this old, creepy space. And as you went down in the basement, it was just kind of like a split level. So as you walked down the stairs and kind of went down there, I'm like, what what does he guide me into? I really didn't know. And like, get to the bottom, and you see this like weird, creepy two foot by two foot hole that's been cut in this cinder block wall of this basement. And like, what is that? And, um, go in there and like, what were they tunneling outside of this basement for? I have no idea. And you know, stick your head in the little hole and you're like, this doesn't even seem safe, but sure enough, they have tunneled out and kind of created this maybe six foot by four foot little room that couldn't have been more than, and two or two and a half feet tall underground and it had nothing in it but a foam rubber mattress and some old like 1970s floral cushions from couch cushions and like what was going on in this house I mean, it wasn't visible who decides to randomly tunnel outside of their house and what could they have possibly been hiding in here you know is it their um, escape room uh, makeshift escape room was it a something where you know, somebody was being smuggled like I really didn't know so it's just like I yeah, I don't know what to do with it other than like we've got to get rid of it and so luckily we didn't ever find out anything bad happened here but it it was a scene out of a saw or something where you look down in this basement and everything is torn up and there's this hole in the in the side of the, the foundation wall and so we quickly just crushed it from the outside, uh, made sure that room was gone, backfilled the dirt and patched up that basement wall. And the house turned around, but there was a lot of speculation uh, with me and my coworkers at the time and and some of the neighbors, what the house might've been used for and the the old man that used to live there. And I think one of the neighbors speculated that he had two wives and maybe he only ever saw one of them at, at any given time. So The stories just got more and more wild as we went along. But I don't think there was much truth in any of those specular stories. But it sure was a strange room. And and we never did quite figure out what was really used for. But it no longer exists. And now it's a perfectly functioning SFR rental house and and yielding well for the current owner.
4: Oh, my gosh. Just, yeah, just perform an exorcism on that part of the house. How scary.
3: Jeez. Yeah, just who knows? Maybe just a little hiding room or a playroom for some kids but yeah when you when you find it like that your imagination
0: sure runs wild I was trying to think in the background of something not ridiculous that could have gone on there and I'm drawing a complete blank like I it can have it couldn't have been anything legitimate it had to have been something just I don't know really not safe or legal or <laughs> I'm
3: convinced that the the weirdest stuff happens in basements. And maybe it's just a myth from not growing up having a basement. But now, in my experience, I'm like, whatever weird happens, it's always in a basement.
0: All right, next up is our very own co-host, Tom Schneider. Tom has another great, great story for you guys. Let's listen to this one. So I was at the time, this is,
4: I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, I was working in acquisitions and there was a property that I was looking to buy. This is for a company that eventually went public, but we were in major buy time. And this property was located in this area called the Iron Triangle in Richmond. And you guys are familiar. Anyways, I go to this property with my construction manager that i work with and the property is listed as vacant per the mls listing so vacant we go there i have my super key so i'm able to unlock the door and me and the contractor open the door and you know i couldn't put it into words but it was so obvious this home was not vacant There was nothing visually you can see that really spoke to someone was there, but I don't know. Call it intuition. As soon as you opened the door and stepped inside, you were not the only ones in this room. So we continue, you know, we look at each other, and I think he felt it as well. And we are are walking, you know, through the house. I think it's like a a three-bedroom, one-bath. Doing our our standard process, right? First, we go over to the kitchen estimated costs, pretty standard, you know, and still have that kind of sinking feeling that this is not, we're not on our own in here. So looking through the kitchen, testing the water, you know, a little bit of brown spurts out of the water, just like a, not a good omen, Um, you know, some rust or whatnot. Um, Anyways, continuing working our way through one bedroom, another bedroom, until we finally get to the master bedroom. And I mean, we both just looked at each other and in the corner of the room, there was this closet and it was just slightly opened a little bit. And, you know, we, we had to know, is this house empty or is it not? So I walk slowly over to the closet and I, it's dark out too, you know, not a lot of windows. And I open the closet door and I'm looking in there and I see in the back of the closet, this is a weird deep closet. I see yeah! two eyes looking right back at me. And I turn around at the construction manager. And I yell, we got to get out of here. So we sprint out of the door. I think we forgot to put the super key on and we were just spooked. Called the listing agent. That house is not vacant. You got to go and take care of that. And made it out alive. <laughs> no, uh, no major issues. But man, it's it, you got to trust your intuition. If you 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 feel the energy of of somebody or you know something, I, I still don't know today. It could have been a bear. I don't know. Uh, you got to trust that uh, that intuition and double check with the listing agent that your house is vacant.
0: Next up, we have Michael Zuber, who many of you know. He's been on the show a couple times. I actually remember hearing this story on Michael's YouTube channel, and we had to invite him on to recount it here. So here it is.
5: Yeah. So let me set it up because again, so we were probably in year eight or year nine of our investing journey. We probably had a hundred doors by this point. We had probably had 500 tenants by this point and again while this story is truly just truly nasty I do want to say that most tenants are just awesome people so I don't want this one horrible event to scare anyone away but it is it is pretty bad so this starts in a very unusual manner somebody comes in to pay rent my property manager takes the check tries to apply the check to the unit and says, innocently enough, name on check doesn't match tenant in-house. What's going on, right? Not thinking any of it. The tenant at this point, I don't know, the first error or honesty or whatever you want to call it says, oh, by the way, so-and-so, I've already forgot their name, the other tenants left and I moved in and I want to pay the rent that he was paying. So we're like, okay, cool. We're not going to take your rent. We have to put all tenants through an application process, right? But good news is you have the money. Uh, so you're good Good sign. Right? We, we, we think we're going to get through this okay. So he fills out an application right there. He, he again tries to pay before he leaves. And we say, no, right? You're not an approved tenant yet. We can't take your money. Uh, but we should have an answer in 24, worst case, 48 hours. Right. The whole process is smooth. So lo and behold, that evening, I get a call. And I start to hear this story, right? Because I have at this point, they're not bothering me, the owner. I'm probably somewhere in Europe or Japan or somewhere. But they call me and go, "We got, we got a problem." I'm like, "Oh, great! What problem are we going to talk about today?" So they go through it, much like I have with you. And now they tell me that the application that the gentleman filled out, everything is wrong on it except his name. He's lied about everything, where he works, uh, past references didn't check out. Just nothing is right. Other than his name, and the only reason they think his name is right is because it matched the check. Right, that's that's all they know at this point. And they're like, "What do you want to do?" Because he's already moved in; he was already going to pay rent, and they're just not sure. And I'm like, "Well, you're my property manager. What's what do you think the process is? This is this is not an approvable tenant, right? So call him up, see if he has a legitimate excuse, which I don't know what it'd be, but check." So uh, my, my intention is, okay, the guy's got to go, right? 30-day notice, you know, get out, we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll part friends, but you're not approved, right? Seems to say, makes sense. So lo and behold, he calls, he, they call, and now it turns tense. He is uh, clearly upset, which at which point the property manager, the owner of the company gets involved because he is just berating my property manager, right, my point of contact, and he makes a call that, okay, you've got to get out in three days, you know, just three days to you know pay to quit. And at which point he really doesn't like it. We think nothing of it. He's just a grouchy tenant at this point. He tried to cheat the system and get out. Lo and behold, about two or three in the morning, my property manager gets a phone call from the police. Uh, I, I find this out the next day at like 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. But apparently this individual sent out a mass communication on his social media advertising a hammer party. So you know what? I grew up in the 90s. I'm thinking MC Hammer, right? I'm like, oh, okay. He wants to throw a big bash before he leaves. I'm like, and and my, my property manager goes, no. He goes, he threw a hammer party. I'm like, all right, I give up. It's not MC Hammer. What is it? He told his entire social media staff to bring a hammer to his unit. And they started putting little holes in the drywall. Right? Just smashing the drywall, smashing the toilets, smashing the tubs with hammers. So much so that he almost broke into the unit next door, at which point the police were called and uh, people were arrested because there were people on parole that shouldn't have been there. And lo and behold, we spent, I don't know, something like $20,000. Because again, right? Once you start putting holes in drywall, you know, stuff's got to go and, you know, toilets got to go and sinks got to go and countertops got to go and cabinet doors were just bashed off. Uh, They were demoing a relatively nice unit and this all started from a guy who wanted to pay rent that's the terrible thing of this story Duh.
4: I'm never gonna hear hammer time and think of uh you know and not think of that story again
5: yeah it, it was uh it was not a good experience and I just I think about it all the time all he wanted to do was pay rent he I'm sure he thought he was doing the right thing but then you start lying on your application and your job doesn't check out and you're I mean, it's just like, who knows what was going on? We never had a chance to dig into that because he just went from, you know, trying to sneak through to I'm going to be mean. And oh, by the way, he went to jail. He went to jail that night. Hammer time.
0: You and I were, were joking before we started recording, but I mentioned, I feel like if you've been doing this long enough, everyone who's been doing this decade or two, like they have yeah. a crazy story like that. It's impossible not to, to have one. Yeah, you will. It's it's amazing.
5: You're in the people business. I mean, I didn't understand that for years, right? I thought it was spreadsheets. I thought it was sticks and bricks. I thought it was stuff. It's not stuff. If you're a landlord and you're a long-term landlord, you're dealing with people. People go through life. Sometimes you're winning in life and sometimes you're losing. Sometimes, you know, it's, it comes up aces and sometimes it's deuces and damn, I mean, it's, you can run into people that are having pretty bad days and I'm sure they don't mean it maliciously, maliciously, but he was angry and he destroyed a unit and ultimately, frankly, paid the price with his freedom because he went to jail. All
0: right, thanks everyone. Hope you didn't get too spooked out during all this, but hope you all have a great Halloween. I know it's going to be a little bit different of a year, but hope you all enjoy it anyway. One other quick thing to tell you guys about before you head out. We're running another Roofstock Academy promotion this month for all of our podcast listeners. And if you're not familiar with Roofstock Academy, that is our online on-demand training and coaching program where you can get one-on-one coaching with myself, Michael, Tom, also in our private Slack community. And we have tons and tons of hours of on-demand lectures for you guys to go through to really, really power up your knowledge of real estate investing. And that code, if you you go to roofstockacademy.com and at checkout, just enter the code Halloween and you'll get $151 off enrollment. So again, roofstockacademy.com and apply the code Halloween at checkout before October 31st to get $151 off enrollment. All right, we'll check you out on the next episode. Happy investing.